Opening is God's word, uh, Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. <clears throat> then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the, bride, as the bridegroom was delayed, they, became, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Let's continue our prayer together. Father, we do look to you for help, that you would open our hearts, that you would let your spirit um, breathe through Pastor Andrew. We ask for your help in applying this passage to our lives, not just today, but throughout the week and throughout the rest of our lives. We ask, dear God, for you to help us in this task. We look forward to how your spirit will move among us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Hopefully you've been greeted several times this morning already. We're coming to the end of our Tales of the Kingdom series. We've been looking at some of these parable, parables uh, of Jesus throughout the Gospels, uh, focusing on the theme of the kingdom, as many of the parables do, this one uh, as well. And over the time that we've been together, we've looked at how the kingdom is priceless, uh, it's worth everything that we have, and it's more precious than anything that the world can offer. Uh, we've looked at how the kingdom grows in spite of opposition, uh, that the yield is great. We've looked at how the, the kingdom is fueled by the, the spreading of the word and how the word sort of interacts with our hearts and, and produces that, that fruit there. Last week we, we looked at as the kingdom is delayed, the invitation to, to pray and to pray persistently uh, into that. And today we are going to wrap this up by looking at a portion of what is oftentimes known as the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, uh, where Jesus is talking about his return. So it's the return of the king, right? Some of you know that from your Tolkien days, uh, but it, this is the return of the true king. Uh, and how do we wait for that? How do we anticipate? How do we prepare for that? There's lots of places in the scriptures where we are encouraged to watch and wait, prepare. We see that here. Let's dive into that a little bit more 
and see exactly what it is that God would have us know. There are a couple of things that stand out in this particular parable, and really there's four parables all dealing with this, uh, beginning in chapter 24, uh, 42, uh, where there's a, a master of the house and a thief, uh, in 2445, there's a faithful and a wise servant who has been set over uh, a household, 25, 1 to 13, that we're looking at now. You have these 10 virgins or bridesmaids. And then in uh, 2514, we have the parable of the talents. And they're all geared at the king is coming. The king is coming. Be ready. Watch. Wait. And I think there's really two aspects to the teaching in all of these parables, the, the first is what I would call a solemn warning, and we'll look at that in just a minute here. There's a warning aspect to these parables. The second thing is a warm invitation, and we're going to look at that actually through the waiting and then through the, the welcoming parts of this morning's message. But let's just start with a story. The story is this. Uh, you have these ten virgins or bridesmaids, you know, it just means, the word means young women, uh, and these are most likely in context what we would consider as bridesmaids. There was a wedding that was going on, as was custom in, in those days. The bridegroom would come to, uh, to the feast, and it would begin, be a multi-day affair, seven days or so. They might be at the bride's house, they might go back to the house of the bridegroom where the bride would be living. Uh, and the bridegroom would come and, and that would initiate the, the celebration, right? And these bridesmaids, part of their job was uh, to be ready for the bridegroom and to go out and to meet and then to escort them into the place where the feasting and the celebration would be and uh, to, to feast and make merry. That was their job. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Uh, so that was the, the situation. Now, one of the things that we're told in this story is that the bridegroom was delayed. Uh, this is a theme in, in all four of these in the Olivet Discourse. There's this delay or it takes a long time, longer than expected. And so uh, that's part of the question. What do we do when the bridegroom is delayed? And we're told here that the bridesmaids we're told here, incidentally, without judgment, that the bridesmaids just fell asleep. They became drowsy, both the wise and the foolish. And I emphasize, you know, it's without judgment because uh, there is a waiting, and, and there is a weariness to the waiting, whether you are wise or whether you are foolish. Uh, that's not the point of this parable. The point is and this is the warning aspect of the parable, you know, what is it, you know, what happens when the king does come? Because that's when it shows whether we have been wise or foolish. Uh, there, is, there is a difference that is revealed at the coming of the king that indicates wisdom or foolishness. We could talk about wise and foolish just in terms of biblical concepts, right? Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, so there is a category for us to see. 
The wise person is the one who is submitted to their king and their master. Uh, The fool is the one who rejects it. But here's the warning. The warning is it's not always so easy to tell who's wise and who's foolish. And, And that's part of what Jesus is communicating to us here in this parable with these ten bridesmaids is that, you know, on the surface, they look kind of the same. In fact, they look an awful lot alike. I mean, they're all gathered together in the same place, kind of the way we are all gathered together in the same place right here, right now. They're all dressed the same. You know, they've attired themselves uh, similarly, same way we present our lives in similar fashions. You know, maybe dress ourselves up with a particular uh, moral code. We don't do this and we do that and we attire ourselves similarly. They all are equipped. They're equipped with lamps. Uh, They're equipped uh, in the proper way to greet the king, you know, in a similar way that that we are equipped. Uh, We're equipped with gifts. We're we're given talents, as the next parable goes on to say. We're we're given parts of our personality that we are to invest in the service of the king. And if you look at the story, you see that it is really, really difficult in the time until the king returns to tell the difference between the wise whose hearts are submitted to the Lord and the foolish who say in their hearts there is no God. Now, you know, as we go through this, you, you maybe are beginning to think in numbers of different ways. You know, some of you may, rightly so, say, okay, what does this mean for me? You know, it seems like this is an invitation to some introspection. You know, am I a person who is marked by the appearance of religion, uh, but am lacking something at the heart? Uh, we certainly know that. Matthew 7, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord, but will not go into the kingdom. Or later on in Matthew 7, those will be the, there will be those who have heard my words, but have not put them into practice. There, there certainly is that invitation to introspection. Others of you may say, you know what? This is precisely my problem with the church. Uh, my, my problem with religion is, is that it's full of hypocrites. You know, there are a lot of folks who are gathered in a body on Sunday morning or maybe they come together on Wednesday nights. And there are some, those who it seems like are really following the Lord, but then there are others that are there just for their own purposes. You know, they just want to make merry. They just want to uh, be where the action is, but they don't really love the Lord. We we recognize this, you know, we recognize sort of blatant hypocrisy, uh, we, we move away from that, I think, instinctually uh, when we see it. Remember this even as a young man growing up in, in West Michigan, and there was a, 
you know, I went to a, a Christian high school, and um, there was a, a strong sort of culture of times when you would, you would make what, what was called profession of faith. And uh, so there was a, a movement towards that. And I remember, you know, just thinking uh, that it was so interesting to me that this would happen and there would be parties going on on the weekend and, and people would be going to parties on the weekend and then showing up in church on Sunday making profession of faith. And for me, that was a, a difficult moment. I'm not saying that I am perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and I had my own doses of hypocrisy, and I think we'll see that in just a minute. Uh, but we recognize that even as young people, right? We recognize when we see it, like, that's really ugly. We, we recognize, like, it, it doesn't work to, to say that we're in the kingdom and, and then not bear the fruits of the kingdom, not be ready for the king when, when he returns. And, and that never goes away. I mean, we, we see that, you know, business encounters that we have. It, it's hard to see the person that is in church and is maybe, you know, again, wearing all the clothes. Maybe they have a, a, an outwardly moral lifestyle. Maybe they are utilizing their gifts and, and they're at the top of the giving list in their church. But yet, we recognize that they don't treat their employees with a lot of compassion or grace. We recognize uh, that there is some underhandedness going on in their, in their, in their business dealings. We, we see it with the, with the Sunday school teacher, you know, that person that's there faithfully week after week, and yet is vindictive and incisive in their gossip and the way that they talk to folks. And you know, those are the things that mm, we cringe uh, at those things. And I'm sure, you know, your mind is going in the places where your mind is going, right? You, we know examples uh, of this type of what I would call blatant hypo hypocrisy. But here's, here's the thing that we have to recognize, and particularly with this parable, is that hypocrisy is not always so blatant, and we can be uh, co-opted or colonized uh, in our own hearts very subtly towards a similar type of thing. Appreciated recently, you know, Tim Keller giving some of that uh, language to it. He's talking about life in a post-Christian culture. So what he means by that is, you know, particularly here in America and the West, and I'll say particularly in West Michigan, you know, a place that has been very influenced by the church and uh, the gospel and all of those things, there can be a way in which residual ideas continue in the culture. So if you think about it, even in terms of America, a country that you know, very much at its root has had, had Christian thoughts and ideals, not exclusively, but it was there, right? So things like, uh, you know, the image of God and man, respect for human dignity, uh, justice, mercy, you know, those are all things that are coming out of the Bible. And, and they're, you know, we, we take them for granted a little bit, but if you live somewhere else, that might not be the norm, Right? But it is the norm here because they're coming out of the Bible. 
The problem is, is that we can continue on in these ideals in ways that are less than Christian. Let me see if I can further explain this. So, in America right now, probably the, the greatest ideal is individualism. You know, just being who you are, being yourself. And, you know, we, we incorporate individualism in our lives in so many ways. You know, I want to be safe. I want to be secure. I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to continue to pursue all of these things. And then we marry these with a, a Christian ideal. You know, we, we marry individualism with justice, or we marry individualism with sexual ethics, or we marry individualism with, uh, uh, with uh, respect for human life. And what we get is something that seems Christian, and something that on, on many respects could look like it's Christian, but underneath, it might not be Christian at all. It might, be, it might be indistinguishable on the surface. Here's the way that, that Keller talks about it. He says, you know, when it comes to some of these things, there might be what we call a liberal individualism that says, I need to do justice for the poor. Again, that's something that I need. It's something that I value. It's something that I see as important. Uh, racial justice should be worked out. But nobody should tell me what I should do sexually or how I should handle my body. Or there's a conservative individualism that says, I believe in traditional values, a, a traditional uh, sex ethic, uh, the respect for human life. But don't let anybody tell me what to do with my money. And please don't talk to me about race because I didn't own any slaves. And it's extraordinarily easy for Christians to think that they are being Christian. But these ideals are actually being co-opted or colonized by a deeper heart commitment, in this case, uh, individualism. That's one way in which as we look at this parable and we look at our lives, you know, how do we begin to really look at that? You know, how do we begin to, to sift through and sort out. And, and that's where I want to go next with this waiting period because we want to ask ourselves, okay, we see it. We see blatant hypocrisy in the church. And if we're honest, you know, we, we see our own tendency to, uh, to be hypocritical in the things that we believe. But what is it that separates, uh, what is it that separates the wise from the foolish. And, and here's, here's where I think the heart of the matter is. You know, for the waiters, uh, for the, the wise uh, bridesmaids here, for the, the servants in, in the previous parables and the ones that have the talents, the thing that separates them from, from the foolish is that they never stop expecting and longing for their king to return. They are orienting their lives. They are orienting their actions towards the king's return. We have got the oil that we need so that when the bridegroom comes, we will be ready. 
we have invested the talents that we've been given so that when our master returns, we will have something to offer to him. It's not their actions per se uh, that are on display here, but it's their heart. It's the heart that never stops looking for the return of the king. It's their heart that is so taken over by his reality, by his return, by his nature, by wanting to be with him, by wanting to be in the wedding feast. That's what is driving them, and that is what is separates. That is what separates the wise from the foolish. It's the fear of the Lord. That's not being afraid of the Lord. But that is the awesome respect and humility before the Lord. That is a longing for the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. But the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. I am the God. I, you know, what orders my life, what makes my work go, what is interesting to me, that's what's important. And what Jesus is asking us here is where is your heart? Where is your desires? Where is the orientation of your life? Is it set? Is it set on the beauty, the longing for the king to return and for him to be your all in all? That's why it's something that can't be given. You know, the, the foolish virgins ask for some oil from the, uh, from the wise ones, but they can't, they can't give it to them. You know, I, I can't give you the heart's desire. I, I can't give you a, a motivation and a longing for the Lord. I mean, I can, you know, I can tell you to do a lot of things, and, and you can order your life around people that you see and you can copy and you can imitate and all of those things, but nobody can give you a heart that is pierced by the love of God. And I think this is where Jesus encourages us and encourages us along with, uh, you know, with Christians throughout all ages is, you know, is that your orientation? Are you in love with me for who I am. I mean, one of the things that's so interesting in verse 24 of chapter 5, the parable of the talents, which again, a lot of these same themes, he, he said uh, the one with one talent who wasn't ready, wasn't prepared for the Lord. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. But that wasn't the nature of the Master at all. The, the Master wasn't a hard man. The, the fact was he didn't know him. He didn't know him to be gracious. He didn't know him to be lovely. Jonathan Edwards, during the Great Awakening, you know, he wrote a, a book called Religious Affections. And uh, in it, he is talking basically about some of the themes that we're talking about. There are many of those who have sort of all the outward accoutrements of what Christianity is. But, but they're really no sign at all of a true inward conversion and a true inward uh, spirituality that's on, on fire with love for the Lord. And, and, and what, what his point was, was that when you seek to understand the character and glory of God, then you realize that you're not just encountering merely religious ideas or dramatic stories, 
but you're actually encountering God himself. You're encountering things that are divine. You are looking into the mind and will of God himself. You're seeing his divine beauty, beauty that captures us, enraptures us, and transforms us to be the beautiful self that God has created us to be. Brothers and sisters, where's your heart is the question that Jesus is asking us as we are waiting for the bridegroom to come home. You know, this really gives us the answer to hypocrisy. I know many young people in particular have gone away from organized religion. They said it's a bunch of hooey. You know, look at all of the folks that are sitting in the pews uh, who are doing all of those things that we talked about. And you know what? It, it's true. We, 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 we confess that. But what they're going away from is not really the gospel. They're going away from something that they have thought was the gospel. They've gone away, going away from a religion that is a pseudo-gospel. The gospel is a God who loves us, a Savior who died for us a spirit who continues with us. And the answer is to go deeper into that, not religion, but into the relationship with God. That's what we're being invited to. I mean, even Martin Luther King, he had his own hypocrisies in his life, right? Martin Luther King Jr. But he was able to say, look at church, you're saying this and then you're doing this during the civil rights uh, era. But his answer was not to abandon religion, but his answer was to draw closer to God himself. And for all of us, that is the invitation. And it's beautiful. I mean, when we stop and think about God, I often come back to Isaiah 43, verse 4, where God says to his people, he says, you know, you are precious and honored in my sight. And I love you. I mean, how many of us long for our parent to tilt our chin up and look us in the eye and say, you're precious and honored in my sight and I love you. And that's what the supreme being in the universe says to you and says to me. You know, we have a son who said, the glories of heaven, you know, are not sufficient. I will go and I will make myself nothing. I'll take on human form and I'll go to death on a cross so that I can reverse the hubris of mankind, so that I can bring redemption into this world. That is the son that we have. That is the king that we long for. It's not the king of external religion, but it's the king of a radical, redemptive salvation. It's a king that brings us back to himself. We have a spirit who continues with us, who revives our hearts when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, who regenerates us and makes us alive again, who gives us uh, the, the sustenance, the nourishment, the bread, the oil, you know, throughout the uh, scriptures, oil is a, is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And I don't wonder if there's not something of that here in this. What was it that the virgins were lacking? They were lacking oil. They were lacking the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that vibrant ministry that 
continued with them day after day after day. And Jesus says, long for it. Because this, this is what it means to be in relationship to the king. This is what you are waiting for. And if we'll draw closer to that together as a community, yes, we'll still have our hypocrisy because we acknowledge freely that we, we will never clean ourselves up, right? We'll never make ourselves perfect. Of course, we'll still have our hypocrisy, but we'll be able to point our friends, you know, our brothers and sisters, we'll be able to point the world to a God that says, I have not loved you because you are perfect but I've loved you because I have set my love upon you from the foundations of the world. And then we hear, of course, the welcome. I, I love the way that this ends. You know, why is the bridegroom coming? The bridegroom, he's coming to have a feast. He's coming because he loves his bride. He's coming because he wants to marry this one who is spotless and pure, and that is our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming because He desires His church. He desires His church in all of its imperfections because He has died for her, and He has made her pure. And He desires the wedding feast of the Lamb for all eternity to raise up, hallelujah, glory, the King is coming, all of those things that we have sung this morning. This is the coming of the King and the welcome to which we are invited. And our hearts say, hallelujah, please Jesus, come back quickly because we want to be in. Just a note, it's hard, right, when we listen to this and we see the foolish virgins uh, shut out and you see, even in there, to the very end, they're saying, Lord, Lord, you know, open up to us. They're, they're, they're talking to Jesus very intimately, though it's clear there's no relationship there. Jesus says, I never knew you. I, we, we were not on those intimate speaking terms. That's hard for us. Uh, but the reality is this. We know the character of our God and His heart, that nobody who ever desires a relationship with the Lord will be shut out. Everybody who desires, whose heart truly desires that relationship with the Lord will be accepted. But we also know that there are many uh, who don't truly desire that. And as we've seen, sometimes it's not always easy. It's not always the people that we want to think. We want to categorize. We want to put people in certain... It's not like that. We have to see with a kingdom vision, with a kingdom view, one that has the king's ethic and the king's heart in mind. Do you love the king? Preparation this week, friend shared a quote with me. It's about the good news of the gospel, and I think in some ways it sums up the various things we've been talking about with the kingdom. The fact, the fact is that sin and evil constitute bad news in every area of life on this planet. The saving work of God through the cross of Christ is good news. 
for every area of life that has been touched by sin, which means every area. We need a holistic gospel, a holistic uh, mission, because the world is a holistic mess. And by God's incredible grace, we have a gospel that's big enough for all that sin and evil has touched. And every dimension of that good news is good news utterly and only because of the blood of King Jesus on the cross. Ultimately, all that will be there in the new and redeemed creation will be there because of the cross. And conversely, all that that will not be there, like suffering and tears and sin and corruption, decay and death, will not be there. Why? Because it has been destroyed by the work of King Jesus on the cross. Brothers and sisters, the, the King is coming. The King is coming. Trim your lamps. You know, may your hearts be warmed by the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the ways that you meet us here through the word. Now, as we anticipate a foretaste of that great celebration in your table, Lord, we pray that you would continue to minister to us and you would continue to uh, fan into flame the fervor of our hearts. May it not be... Uh, a false affection, but may it be a true affection that recognizes our need, recognizes our own tendencies towards hypocrisy uh, and just plain old rebellion, Uh, but may it be also a clarity that has thrown ourselves wholly on you and that our orientation of our heart and of our life is one towards the King. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.